0: Welcome, my true crime roadies. I'm your host, Angela Baum, along with my husband, Larry, and this is Trucking True Crime Podcast, a true crime show where we focus on true crime stories that happen within the trucking industry. But don't worry, you don't need to know anything about the trucking industry to listen and enjoy the show. You just need to be a fan of true crime. And if that's you, then welcome inside. As a reminder, if you'd like to learn more about our life over the road as team truck drivers, you can listen to our other podcast, Married to the Road, where we share our lives over the road and stories along the way with our three furry dogs. As a reminder, our podcast discusses true crimes and murders. This is not a show for the faint of heart, and this is not intended for young audiences. Welcome back on my Trucking True Crime roadies. I am your host, Angela Baum. I am a full-time truck driver along with my husband, Larry, and we bring to you this Trucking True Crime podcast. If you missed last week's episode, we brought to you uh, the story of serial killer Keith Jesperson. We're going to give you just a little bit of a recap, but I do advise you to go back and listen to part one of our story introducing you to the serial killer Keith Jesperson. Last week, we introduced you to Keith Jesperson. He was a long haul truck driver, and for all sense and purposes, he seemed to be a pretty good family man. Keith had grown up in British Columbia, one of five children. Now he had a pretty rough childhood. He was a type of boy that always wanted to please his father, but never ever seemed to live up to his expectations. Keith was bullied and abused by his father, the neighborhood children, and even his own siblings. In his early childhood, Keith began to act out in abusive ways, even so far as abusing animals. Keith went on to get married and begin to start a family of his very own at the age of 20 years old. Keith and his wife Rose met and wound up getting married and had a total of three children. Growing up in their household, Keith's daughter Melissa described that they had a pretty normal childhood. He was a father who was a long-haul trekker who tended to be gone for long periods of time. But, as Melissa said, he was a good caretaker and always made sure to provide for his family. As Melissa got into her adolescent years, she described her relationship with her father as her father being a type of man that liked to make more sexual crude comments in front of her. And her father was also known to openly flirt and be very sexual towards waitresses and other women when they would go out in public. This was something that became normal to Melissa in her teen years. On the 13th wedding anniversary with his wife Rose, Keith came home and told his wife and three children that he wanted a divorce. Keith had been harboring a huge secret for most of his life. The secret was that he wanted to start living out his fantasy of becoming a serial killer. In last week's podcast, we also discussed how Keith had killed his very first victim, Tanya Bennett. Unfortunately, though, the wrong people wound up going to jail for almost six years for this murder. April 20th, 1990, Keith's second victim was actually a mother who had an infant child with her at the time. This happened at the Mount Shasta Mall parking lot in Washington when he was approached by a woman who was clearly drunk at around 10 p.m. at night. The woman told Keith that her name was Jean and that the baby that she car- she was carrying was actually her six-month-old son. Now, we're not really sure why, but after a brief conversation, Jean did get into Keith's car. For whatever reason... Keith said that he felt safe with Jean. He wound up opening up to her, telling her what his real name was, and they shared intimate, real details about his life and who Keith really was. The only thing I can think of is that maybe it was because Jean was a mother and she had her son in the backseat of the car. Maybe this is the reason that he felt some type of connection to her. The two of them put the baby on the back seat and began to be involved in an intimate relationship of oral sex. Sometime though, during this, Jean changed her mind and decided that she wanted him to take her back to the Mount Shasta Mall. She decided this was becoming way more serious than what she had originally wanted and did not want to have sex with him. Becoming enraged, Keith then forced Jean to finish her sexual act with him. Then he attempted to break her neck. When this was unsuccessful, he decided that he would just take her and her infant son back to the mall parking lot and release them both. Shortly after this incident, Jean did go to the local police department to make a report on how he had raped her and then tried to break her neck and kill her. After using all the information that Keith had shared with Jean, it did not take the police long to find him. They arrested Keith and brought him into the Mount Shasta Police Department, but Keith claimed that Jean was intoxicated with her infant son in his car and that the oral oral sex with them had been consensual. Keith even took the police back to the parking lot at the mall where he had dropped her off. They found proof of Jean's drinking by finding empty alcohol containers on the ground. For whatever reason, the police department believed Keith's version of the story and he was eventually released and still, but he still was charged with sexual assault. Keith wound up not showing up for his scheduled court date in this case at the Mount Shasta Police Department. So the Mount Shasta Police Department wound up issuing a bench warrant for arrest for him. A few months later, while he was in Iowa, Keith was pulled into a way station for a routine truck inspection. They found out that while running his driver's license that he was a wanted man out of Mount Shasta. They immediately arrested him and contacted the Mount Shasta Police Department. But eventually the police department decided that they did not want to have to pay to extradite him all the way from Iowa. So the charges were dropped in this case. Keith killed a second woman a year and a half later after this. This victim is only known as Claudia from California. August thirtieth, nineteen ninety-two. Her body was found. Now, according to Keith, he says that they picked her up at a truck stop, and somehow during their travels, he felt that Claudia was trying to play him for money. And like Tanya before her, she did not want to. She did not want to have sex with Keith. When she didn't want to have sex with him, Keith once again became enraged to the point that he wound up putting duct tape on her mouth. ...and his hands on her to restrain her. He then raped her and then finally strangled her to death. Another victim of Keith was known as Lori Ann Pentland. Now, she was a well-known prostitute in the town of Salem, Oregon. Keith met Lori and had gotten enraged while in the middle of having sex with her. He decided that she, was going, she wasn't going to charge him too high of a rate for their sexual encounter she decided that in the middle of the sexual encounters she was going to change the amount and charge keith double well keith was not falling for this after telling lori that he could not pay her double the amount she threatened that she was going to call the police and report him so instead keith decided to take things into his own hands where he strangled lori lori's body was found in november of 1992 laying next to an interstate highway over the next year and a half, two more victims fell prey to Keith's rage. Now, both victims were not identified and were only known as Jane Doe. One was found in St. Saint, Saint Nelia, California in July of 1993. Initially, her death had been reported as a drug overdose until years later when Keith admitted that he killed this homeless woman. The next Jane Doe was found in September of 1994. This time it was in Crestview, Florida. She also was found strangled. Keith also admitted to killing this woman and said that the only thing he really remembered about her was that she was a homeless prostitute and that her name might have been Suzanne. In September, I'm sorry, in January of 1995, Keith met a young woman named Angela Sabrez who was running a ride from Spokane, Washington, to Fort Collins, Colorado. Angela claimed that she was running a ride from Keith so that she could go and visit her father. But somewhere along their way, when they were around Wyoming, Angela stopped to call her dad and check in with him. But according to Keith, he said that Angela's dad told her that he did not want her to come to his house in Colorado, that he did not want to see her. Keith said of this phone call in a later interview that he was afraid that he really screwed up. When Angela made that phone call, he allowed her to use his phone calling card that he had gotten from his work. He was worried that the police would be able to trace that phone call back to his work calling card. So at that point, Angela told Keith that instead she was now wanting to go to Indiana to see her boyfriend instead since her father didn't want to see her. Hearing this, Keith got enraged and angered and instead raped and strangled Angela. Now, this was not bad enough. For whatever reason, Keith then strapped Angela's body to the undercarriage of a semi-truck. Over the next week, he drove around with her poor dead body hanging from the bottom of his truck with her face down. In a much later interview, Keith talked about this very situation and this is what he had to say about it. He had to say about tying up Angela's body to his truck. He said, quote, I tied her by the ankles underneath my trailer. I drove out onto the freeway and I drove for about 12 miles with her face down on the pavement, he recalled. Have you ever been interested about what all it takes to be a truck driver out here, delivering the goods all across America, or more importantly, What is it like being a team trucker out here with your significant other 24 hours a day in a small confined space, working together, eating together, sleeping together, you name it. If you've ever been curious about the trucking industry, please listen to Larry and I's other podcast, Married to the Road. Again, that's Married, the number two, the road. Please be sure to give it a listen today and don't forget to hit that follow button. Keith also went on to brag that from her ears forward was all gone. He said, he said that her chest cavity was gone. She lost her arms and then her hands. He said, because I pulled her hands taped up in front of her so that she would lose them first and they never found the body for almost eight months later. His sole purpose of doing this to Angela was simply to destroy her fingerprints and also ruin her face, hoping that she would not be identified. In March 10, 1995, Keith would again let his anger take over, but this time it was in a much different way. This time, Keith let out his rage on his longtime girlfriend named Julie Ann Winningham. Now, by all accounts, people really seemed to like Julie, including Keith's own daughter, Melissa Moore. Melissa actually said in an interview that she seemed to keep her father out of trouble. The family genuinely liked Julie. They thought that Julie was really a good influence on Keith and seemed to keep him on a narrow road. But sadly, on the night of March 10, 1995, supposedly Julie had asked Keith for some money to help pay some of her bills. This sent Keith into a rage and he lost his cool. As with the other victims before, he raped Julie, killed her, and then disposed of her body in Washington along the side of an interstate highway. But what was different about this murder is that this would be the last murder that Keith would commit. And Julie's body would be discovered only a few days after her murder. And this murder would lead the police to start to turn their attention onto Keith Jesperson. Keith became known as a happy face killer because he started creating letters and notes and signing them with a smiley face. The first known one was left in a bus station bathroom wall in Montana that read, quote, I killed Tanya ben- Bennett on January 21st, 1990 in Portland, Oregon. I beat her to death, raped her, and I loved it. Yes, I am sick, but I enjoyed myself too. Police took the blame and I am free and it was signed with a happy face. This is what the New York Daily News had reported. Now, more notes began to follow over the next few months as Jesperson in what seemed to be a bid for attention. He sent letters to several news outlets and police stations bragging about the murders that he'd commit, and all of these notes and letters were marked with a sign of a happy face. One lengthy six-page letter was sent to the Oregonian, For example, he described the murder of five women and the locations of where their bodies could be found. Now, a columnist for the outlet, Mr. Phil Stanford, eventually gave him the nickname of the Happy Face Killer. The Oregonian reported that in 2014. But believe it or not, it was not all the notes that he created that would eventually lead to his capture. In an interview with a reporter in 2021, the reporter asked Keith why he had had created the Happy Face Notes, and this is what he had to say, quote, It's not fun getting away with murder without anyone knowing about it, he said. The game is too boring to just kill. We gotta have someone following us. Keith was convicted and found guilty of eight of the nine murders and was sentenced to eight life sentences. Keith is currently serving his sentence in the Oregon State Penitentiary. Now, over the last few years, Keith has gone on to do several interviews and documentaries where he has claimed to kill over 160 women. However, police, FBI have done much investigation, but unfortunately, they have not been able to find any proof that these crimes have actually been committed. The one thing several of the reporters have said is that Keith truly loves the limelight of being interviewed. Actually, if you go to YouTube and do your research, you will see several interviews by Keith Jesperson, and he truly does love the attention. In a 2010 interview with ABC News, Keith said that he equated committing murder to shoplifting. When ABC News Juju Chang challenged him on that, Jesperson doubled down by saying that his killings were everything like shop, shoplifting. It became a nonchalant type of thing, Keith said, because I got away with it, he continued. It is everything like shoplifting. You're breaking the law, but you're getting away with it. So there's that little thrill of getting away with it and nobody knows who you are. Now, Keith's daughter, Melissa, is one of his children That has become very vocal about growing up in the family of a serial killer of her father now melissa was only a freshman in high school when she came home from school one day and found out that her father had been harassed arrested now her mom rose did not really want to share a lot of information or details with her children and the way she told her children honestly was a little bit blunt she said quote your father is in jail Melissa Morris said she wouldn't even give the charges at first. My brother demanded an answer and she finally said for murder. We didn't know that it was for serial murder. And then it was just a floodgate after that and all these new charges and all these new cases began flooding in. Now Melissa said that her mom did not want to discuss her father or what he'd been convicted of or the crimes with his children. Now, I'm sure part of this was Rose's mother's way of trying to protect her children. I'm sure she was embarrassed and wanted to protect her children from the horror of what their father had done. But also, after watching an interview with Rose, it was also pretty sure that she was horrifically horrified by what Keith had done and totally embarrassed. Rose was kind of known as an old flamingo. She was a type of person that put her head in the sand and just didn't want to discuss or even believe that this was going on. Now, Melissa was around 14 or 15 years of age when this all came about and she found out that her father had been arrested for being a serial killer. Now, being a normal, nosy, typical type of teenager, she wanted to know more and her mother was not about to give her any of that information. So Melissa, along with her then-boyfriend, would sneak off often to the public library. This is the only way that she knew that she could go on to look up news stories and articles to learn exactly what her father had done, who he had done, and who he was accused of killing. Quote, this is from Melissa. That was really difficult, she said. I was reading quotes from the family of victims and their grief and their heartache and their anger and to hear them calling my father a monster. That was a new situation to be in, and at the time, he still was my beloved father. Melissa Moore said that she and her siblings splintered despite their shared nightmare, each of them dealing with their grief in their own way and in their own survival mode. Over the next few years, Melissa said that she had to transfer to two more high schools because the kids were bullying her so badly over who her father was and the crimes that he committed. The biggest thing that people could not understand was how she and her mother and her siblings did not know what their father was doing. In Melissa's defense, she was just a young girl who simply idolized her father. And for the most part, they really had a pretty good relationship. Melissa says that she feels due to this, it's kind of blindsided her. She really didn't see the signs that maybe she and her mom and her siblings should have looked for. She is more upset with the adults in her life because she feels that they should have seen the clues and they should have seen what her father was doing, like how he had grown up torturing animals as a young child. A quote from Melissa in a 2020 interview says, I sometimes now wonder if he was free now, if he was released, would he kill again? And I believe he would, said Melissa Moore. I don't believe my dad is sorry at all. What he is sorry about, though, is that he got caught. Now, Melissa did eventually cut off all ties with her father back in 2005. She has had no communication with him since. Melissa Moore has gone on to write two memoirs about this topic, Shattered Silence and Whole. The latter is about a self-help book for those struggling to recover from trauma. She also has been featured several times on the Dr. Oz show as a criminal crime correspondent. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Again, I encourage you to listen to part one that was put out earlier in the week. I did want to say that my sources for this podcast came from Murderpedia, Wikipedia, the podcast the excuse me the podcast life after the happy face which was produced and created by Melissa Moore the daughter of Keith Jesperson also the 2020 interview of Melissa Moore's interview on her father Keith that was featured in 2010 also the happy face killer show on oxygen and last but not least the book dangerous ground my relationship with a serial killer I hope you've enjoyed this podcast your sharing our podcast and giving us our five-star reviews has really helped our podcast grow. Please be sure to share our podcast wherever you listen to it. And please don't forget to give us a five-star review. It really helps in our ratings. Don't forget, we'll have another great podcast for you next Saturday with another Trekking True Crime podcast story that I'm working on right now. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies, for giving our podcast a listen. We really appreciate you listening to our Trucking True Crime podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to visit our Instagram page or our TikTok page. Also, Trucking True Crime podcast. And don't forget that you can visit our Facebook page as well. Again, Trucking True Crime podcast. Be sure to like, share, and follow, and be sure to share out our podcast to all your friends. We'll be back here next week with another great episode. Thank you so much, my true crime roadies. Be safe out there. If you like your podcast ad-free, then head over to Patreon. Located at patreon.com slash trekking true crime podcast. Where for just a dollar a whole month, your episodes are ad free. And if you need more episodes in your life, then for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode each month. All your episodes are ad free and you get a 10% discount on all of our trekking true crime podcast merchandise. Plus, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all of our episodes ad free. So please be sure to stop by our Patreon at patreon.com slash Trucking True Crime Podcast and sign up today.